Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Good morning. I am uh, on the tail end of a cold. Not COVID, I had that two months ago. Tail end of a cold, and so my voice is not uh, maybe the same, I don't know how to describe my voice, strong voice that you are used to, so I'm gonna try and keep it soft so I don't lose it, but I will try my best, and if I just need to take a little pause for water or coughing, that's just gonna have to happen. So, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Amy. I serve as one of the pastors here. And this, some of you might also not know this, I am a pastor's kid as well. So, double whammy, I guess. Hey, went the one stereotype of was a pastor's kid, now a pastor. But my dad uh, served as a, as a lead pastor at a local church in uh, northern BC for a while, and then he served as a leader in, in the district office of the denomination we are a part of. But growing up as a pastor's kid, there were like some good perks there. It's like I knew all the cool hiding places in the church, and I just felt like it was another place that like I ruled and I owned and I could do anything and go anywhere. I also knew which people were good for candy and gum and kind of the route to take. And, I, and I, man, I, I just see some of our kids, not even my own kids, but everyone kind of knows who, who has candy and who doesn't. But that was something that it was. It was, it was I, knew which, I knew which old ladies to go to, which ones had the good candy and which ones had the candy that wasn't great. So I just kind of steered away from them. But it was, for me, it was a... Um, I loved being a pastor's kid. And I mean, we left the, uh, the, the local church kind of level when I was 10. So I didn't experience um, the, the experience that it seems like a lot of pastor's kid have when they're getting into the teens. And that's when things can kind of go a little bit sideways. There seems to be um, unrealistic expectations put on pastor's kids sometimes where somehow, for some reason, because they're the pastor's kid, that there's a higher standard that they're held to of behavior and, you know, any amount of struggle or something that seems a little maybe not quite in the lane that they're getting called out on. I mean, I, I, I never experienced that. And, and it seems like knowing our, our church body, that that's not something our pastor's kid, kids really experience here either. But one of, the, one of the things that also was a perk of a pastor's kid, and maybe just a pastor's family, is that people would give us gifts, just as a, a show of appreciation, a show of a way of, to honor us. And I mean, I've also, uh, we've encountered that here. You guys are so generous with us, just as ways to... Um, yeah, say thank you and, and honor us, and I really appreciate that. But one of the gifts that my dad got one year, I think it was a gift. I never clarified with him, so I, this could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was a gift. It was a comic book written by a pastor, written for pastors, and all of the comics were about 
the funny side of being a pastor. And so, I mean, as a kid, I looked through them, and a lot of them I just didn't actually understand because I wasn't a pastor. I, you know, pastor humor, I don't get. I'll probably get a lot of them now. But I remember, there's only one comic I remember. And I remember this comic because, first of all, I remember reading it and thinking, well, this isn't my dad at all. This doesn't describe him. But then the second reason was also this awareness, even when I was like nine or 10 years old, of being like, this indicates something's really off. Something's really wrong here. And so the picture was, it's a husband and a wife in a car. And you can tell, I think the husband had a collar on, so you knew that he was the pastor and he was driving. And he kind of has this <clears throat> uh, unpleasant look on his face. And his wife is talking and she has this like kind of excited voice. And what she says is like, how about we try something new for a change? How about you're gracious and loving and kind and serving at home and grumpy and annoyed at church? <laughs> and I remember reading this and thinking, that, that's messed up. That's super messed up. If this is something in a, this is something that obviously resonates with pastors somehow. Where has something gotten so confused or, or wrong or twisted that this is in a book for enough pastors to relate to? That they show up nice and great and loving at church and then kind of treat their family not great at home? Something didn't match up. Surely this wasn't the way that Jesus in the early church meant for pastors to operate. And so today we're going to be looking at pastors and what is their role and what is our responsibility to show up. And we're in a series called The Meaning of Oranges. And I've had a couple of people actually say, that doesn't make sense. It's on your board. I don't know what that means. Like, that seems confusing. What is that? And so what it is, is, is actually the, the name of the series came out of an illustration that uh, Nick, when he preached about two months, two or three months ago, that he, he uh, shared with us on the topic of deconstruction. And it's a way to um, illustrate or look at things that once were meaningful that now have just become symbols. And so the story that he shared was just, you know, long time ago, there were people homesteading in some area somewhere. There were two families. They were breaking the land, clearing the land. It was a big deal. And one of the families invited the, the other family over for Christmas. And the family that was the, the invited family wanted to bring something that would show gratitude, thankfulness, generosity, neighborly love. And so they procured a couple of oranges at a time when oranges were not easily to come by, that they were expensive, but they were a symbol of neighbor, neighborly love. And so then the next year, the, the roles were reversed. And again, the family that was the invited family brought oranges and <coughs> as a way to, again, show generosity, neighborly love, gratitude. And this kept happening from generation to generation. But what happened is the meaning of the oranges got lost and they just kept the oranges. So as oranges became more and more... Uh, Available, it was like, okay, oh yeah, we got to grab the oranges. Till the last generation, I had, he didn't say this part, but I added it. 
So last generation was like on their way, and they're like, oh, man, we have to bring something oranges. Ah, okay, let's go down to Red Apple. Oh, yeah, you know what? Here's some Terry chocolate oranges on discount. Yeah, we'll just grab those. Those are good enough, sure. I, I don't know what this means, but go for it. So in the same way that this story about the oranges, that the meaning and significance and what the oranges originally represented, generations later had kind of turned into discount Terry chocolate oranges without any meaning behind it. This can happen in the church sometimes. There are many things in the way of Jesus in the early church where the why has been lost, where we don't understand why we do the things that we do. And sometimes the structure and the purpose has been distorted. We're snacking on Terry chocolate oranges that were on discount and saying, yeah, this is good enough. I'm sure this is what was meant when it's not. And so today we're gonna to be looking at pastors and our role in the church. And so I'm gonna ask you a question. You don't need to call it out or anything, but just, just think about it. What would you say is the job of a pastor? And whatever you come up with, and for what purpose? We're going to be looking at two main passages of scripture today as we dive into the role and attitude of the pastors. The first one we're going to be looking at is found in Ephesians 4. And so in Ephesians, in Ephesians 4, this whole section starts with Paul talking about the unity of the Spirit. And what does unity look like? And he talks about how there's one body of believers, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And then he talks about, and yet God has given to each of us different gifts. One spirit still, but all of us have different gifts. And then in verse 11, this is the section that refers to pastors. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. And so we know this isn't the only gifts that God has given to the church. There's other lists in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 12 has different gifts. Romans 12 lists different things. So this is just, just one um, group. But we see pastors here. And actually, the word in Greek actually of pastor actually gives us a clue of how pastors are supposed to function. So another, word, another way that that uh, Greek word is translated is shepherd. And what do shepherds do for flocks of sheep? They care for them when wounded. They prod and lead them into new land. They guide them, they protect them, they feed them. So this is the role of a pastor, to be a shepherd for God's flock. And I think this part of shepherd pastor, the caring, leading, guiding, protecting, I think a lot of us probably would have had some things around that when I asked the question earlier what the job of the pastor was. It was probably something along those lines. We were kind of close to that one. However, if we keep reading in Ephesians 4, we see the why of the pastoral role and the purpose. And I think this is where we can get confused and where it's lost its meaning. So continuing on in verse 12, 
Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So there it is. The purpose of pastors, along with these other roles, is to equip, perfect. This word can also mean mending in the preparing of nets so that all will have faith and knowledge of Jesus and be mature. So the pastor's job in the caring, leading, guiding, protecting is to equip and prepare people to walk in what God has called each person to do. And so right now you might be like, well, I don't know what God has called me to do. And while the specifics for each of us are different, we do know the general of what God has called us to do. And that's found in Matthew 28, when Jesus gives the Great Commission. And he says to all of us, in your going about, make followers of Jesus who make followers of Jesus. That's all of our jobs. And, it's, and a specific of that is for the pastors to equip and empower people to do that. Unfortunately, I think this is an area that we've got kind of uh, distorted. We can view pastoral ministry from a consumer point of view. You guys pay us. And as I'm saying we, I just really want to make it clear, I'm not saying like this church specifically. I'm not calling you out on, on this. What I'm saying is like the church as a whole, generally. Just to make that clear, no accusation here. So we pay our pastors. And because we pay them, we expect certain services from them. We think certain things need to get done, and so we tell the pastors they need to get done. And we kind of get into this thought that it's up to the church, which, you know, never includes ourselves, just the church, and programs and pastors to make followers of Jesus. And we can kind of somehow let ourselves off the hook, because, you know, we pay the pastor's salary, so we're good here. Well, that's not the way of Jesus. Francis Chan, in his book, Letters to the Church, has a great perspective on this. He says, we so often want pastors to be massage therapists. You know, we come, we lie down, they massage our sore parts. We lie there, it's great, we get a little bit more relaxed, and then we just head off. But what Francis Chan says is actually pastors are meant to function more like personal trainers. And I would argue this passage, when it talks about the equipping and building up of the saints, would indicate, yes, we are supposed, us as pastors are supposed to be more like personal trainers. (coughs) Sometimes we need to massage the sore parts. Other times it's teaching proper technique. Another time it's pushing for that one more rep or stretching. We're meant to be personal trainers to build up the body of Christ. But unfortunately, sometimes pastors can lose sight of this too. We can get caught up in this lie that it's, that it's all up to the pastors, that we can center ourselves and make ourselves irreplaceable. We can, we can get into the mindset that we are holding everything in the church together. 
which again is not the way of Jesus. When we as pastors and and people in the body of Christ forget the purpose of pastoring, which is to equip and build up, we actually all prevent maturity in our church. People can't mature, grow in their gifting, be challenged, learn more about themselves, can't be stretched if pastors are expected and are doing everything. Often Paul, in his letters to different churches, uses a similar analogy, and and I've said it a couple of times too, the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, and Christ is the head, and we're all different parts. That the body can't function with certain parts doing more than their job and other parts doing less. Things get out of balance. Picture, um, if you've ever seen a picture, of a professional arm wrestler. Right? You kind of see it's like skinny little legs, skinny little body, one arm is like really skinny, and then this other arm is like out of control, buff, like they've only worked the one arm. And we see it and we think, that doesn't look right. And in the same way, when pastors are expected to do more than what they're called to, when we as pastors take on more than what we're called to, we end up with a body of Christ that looks like that. Certain parts are atrophied and not strengthened, and then we have this mutant part that still doesn't function with the rest of the body how it's supposed to. However, when the body of Christ is working together, when we are all coming together in the way that we are gifted, something beautiful happens. And Paul refers to this in, in uh, chapter, or sorry, verse 16. He, Christ, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Don't you want to be a part of a church body that is healthy, growing, and full of love? I do. And I know some of you right now, maybe as I'm talking about serving and how, you know, we all need to do our part, maybe some of you are just kind of getting that feeling of, oh man, this is so burdensome. I'm busy and tired. And I actually just want a church gathering to be a place of rest, to be fed, to sit back and let others feed and massage me. And then, you know, I'll, I'll feel rested and, and growth will happen and fulfillment will happen. That's not the way it works, actually. There is a time for infilling and rest and to be fed for the purpose of then feeding others. Jesus has this wonderful balance of of inpouring love so that we can be other-focused. And how you serve and love others will look unique to you. I think sometimes we get caught up on what we think it should look like, and then that's where burnout happens, because we're trying to fit ourselves and do things in a way that Jesus never called us to do. But how we serve and love one another will be unique for each one of us. So how are you currently serving and loving others? Is there a place where maybe Jesus is asking you to start working out, build up your part of the body, 
Are you expecting your pastors to be your spiritual massage, massage therapists? Or are you expecting them to follow what scripture says in equipping you to do the work of the ministry, to be your spiritual trainer? So now we have a bit, a bit more of a clear picture of the what and why of pastoring. Let's now examine the how. We see as we look at our second uh, passage of scripture, which is 1 Peter 5. How are pastors to, supposed to show up? What is the attitude we're supposed to take as we equip the saints to do the work of the ministry? Well, Peter shares this with us. Verse 2, uh, chapter 5. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not begrudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And so right off the bat, Peter talks about flock and shepherds. And this actually, uh, Peter is familiar with this type of language. Him and Jesus have this beautiful encounter after Jesus has died and, and Peter's betrayed him to people saying like, no, nah, I don't know who that Jesus guy is. But Jesus is resurrected again and he has this conversation with Peter in, in John 21 where Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? Peter's like, yeah, Jesus, I do. He's like, then feed my sheep. And he says this three different times. And so the fact that Peter is now talking about flock and shepherding, I think directly relates back to that picture. And again, connects to that idea that pastors are shepherds to guide and protect, care, lead into new land. But this is an important part. The first part says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. It's God's flock, not the pastors. Pastors are not the head nor the leader of a church body. Jesus is. I was recently at a, a thing called New Workers uh, Orientation, and what it is is just a, a district uh, retreat for people that are relatively new in the district, just to learn more about the district and, and um, things going on and to connect with others. But one of the sessions, they were talking about what it means to be Christ-centered. And one of the district guys, he talked about, you know, Jesus is the head of the church. And we say that often. You know, we, we have no problem saying that. But he said, but how often do we actually function like that? Is Christ the functional head of the church? And that's actually something for me that I've been thinking a lot about as I've been going about my ministry and meeting with people and praying. Okay, right now, am I functioning as Christ is the head of the church? Am I functioning like he is the great shepherd? Because this church is God's church, not mine. The second thing we see how pastors are supposed to show up in this equipping is it says, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. So from a place of giving, not receiving. In the, the Amplified Bible, it says, not seeking shameful gain. And at first when I read that, I said, oh yeah, like in it for the money and resources. Yeah, okay. That's, yeah, I don't need to watch out for that. I'm good. I'm, I'm okay with that one. 
But then it's like, as I was like praying more about it and thinking about it, I realized it's way more than that. Shameful gain could also mean us pastors coming into the role or engaging in our role to get our identity, to get our meaning, to get our worth. When we serve as a means to get these things, when we serve as a way to make ourselves feel significant, or when we serve as a way to, to get our identity and, and worth, we're, we're trying to get something out of it that it was never meant to. We're trying to shamefully gain something. People end up feeling manipulated, like they can't trust our motives. People can get a sense that pastors have kind of centered ourselves in the middle and make everything about us. Something else that can happen when we uh, kind of come from a place of trying to get something rather than give out of, out of pastoring is pedestaling can happen. I don't know if that's an actual word, but I'm turning it into an ing word. Where, where somehow uh, people can get this idea that, you know, there's, there's the regular people and then there's the pastors, and then there's God. That somehow we're like a mediator, or you know, just a little bit closer to God than the rest of everyone else. And when we are trying, when we as pastors are trying to get our identity and worth and significance from pastoring, we're actually okay when we actually are quite delighted internally when people treat us this way, which is not okay and not Jesus. And something that, is, I won't speak for other pastors, something for me that I always need to be aware of, of, okay, where is my identity? Where am I looking for my significance? Because I want to be able to show up freely giving, not what I can get out of this, but how do I show up using my gifts for the body? And when we're trying to prove ourselves, Dysfunction occurs because we end up doing way more than we're supposed to. And this is a real possibility for us pastors, which is why it's so important that as pastors we tend to our relationship with Jesus, that that is our primary job. Because if we aren't regularly, if I'm not regularly getting grounded in in the identity that Jesus has spoken over me, if I'm not regularly getting my significance and worth reinforced through scripture and, and Jesus, I'm gonna show up here trying to fill something that pastoring never meant to fill. And I do a disservice to the people that God has entrusted to me. Then in verse three it says, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And I think this refers to what I just said there, where it's like our primary job as pastors is to tend to our relationship with Jesus. Because if we don't do that, hypocrisy becomes a real danger. Where we stand up here and we say all the things that you guys should do, but we're not actually doing ourselves. If we're not tending to our relationship with Jesus, what can happen is, is we get in a mindset of that we know it all and we'll let people know. But man, when we stay close to Jesus, 
when again our primary function is tending our relationship with Jesus, we can show up carrying the love of Jesus and equipping the body of Christ in the way that Jesus has called us to do. So, shameful gain. Pastors thinking that, you know, the church is ours. Serving out of obligation. Using force. What this means is the main mode of operating becomes control and manipulation. Which is when spiritual abuse becomes a real thing. And that is grievous and not of Jesus at all. So pastors have this, this uh, I don't even know how to, a, a sacred place of recognizing the responsibility and authority we have, but also being called to stay so close to Jesus. Because if we don't show up carrying the love of Jesus, if we don't show up serving rather than trying to meet these places in our hearts, we can do real damage to the body. And we don't want to do that. And when we show up knowing that Jesus is the chief shepherd, when we show up freely giving what God has given us, when pastors are tending to our relationship with Jesus as a priority, then the equipping The equipping of the body can happen so that all of us together are reaching unity and maturity in Jesus. And that's how we aim to show up. Me and I know Pastor Greg and Nate, this is how we want to serve you guys as the body of Christ. And so pastoral ministry is just one part of the gifts. One. No better than any other gift that Jesus gave to the church to equip, mend, strengthen, and prepare all of us to share the hope, love, joy of Jesus to those around us and to serve one another. We are your personal trainers. And when we overfunction and are simply massaging, we are actually actively choosing to go against what God has called us to do. And as pastors, we don't want that. Instead, the cry of our heart and desire is reflected in this uh, vision prayer by the Christian Missionary Alliance. Oh God, with all our hearts we long for you. Come transform us, all of us as the body of Christ, to be Christ-centered, spirit-empowered, mission-focused, multiplying disciples everywhere. Amen. Today, the benediction comes from earlier on in that chapter in Ephesians 4. So I bless you in the name of Jesus with humility and gentleness, that we would be patient with one another, making allowances for each other's faults because of the love of Jesus. May we continue to make every effort to keep ourselves united in the Spirit, binding ourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as we have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, 
one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. May we live in light of this truth as we go from here. Amen. Go in peace and in peace return. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.